Did Hannah get on? Good morning, ladies, and welcome to Torah with the Takeaway. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Ba'era. This is one of the, starting from Shmos, um, we're talking about the exile and redemption of the Jewish people. Typically, there is no way to escape the topic of Emuna from these week's Parshios. Okay, last week, there's some other things we could get into, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu and things like that, but these next three, for sure, are talking about Amuna, and we're going to come up with some amazing, life-changing ideas uh, in that topic. But first, I have to ask my questions. Today, since it's Pesach-related, I'm going to ask five questions for the Coastal Elio, so we will have a redemption, the car of Mamish. The Makos in this week's Parsha are discussed up to Barad. Barad's the last one, and... The Parsha begins responding to Moshe Rabbeinu's complaint at the end of last week's Parsha, and we're going to be taking that up. That's going to be one, uh, probably our primary topic, but it's going to lead us to some other places that we'd like to go. At the end of last week's Parsha, Moshe Rabbeinu sees he goes to Paro. Last week he was sent to Paro. We're going to go touch into uh, uh, upon that last uh, last week. We're going to touch upon that today. And we're going to see when he, after he goes to Paro and he tries to get Paro to let the people go and, and, and his lions that are accompanying him, like the, the Paro's palace was blocked by lions. And yet Moshe and Aaron were able to, he took his staff, he, he like freed the lions. They were walking alongside him and Aaron goes to Paro, huge miracle. And what does Paro do after this first approach? I'm going to make it harder on them. I'm going to make them make straw to make the bricks. It's not enough. They should make bricks and build the, you know, build for me. I want them to have even harder work. I don't want them to have time to think. So now, so Moshe Rabbeinu, when he sees that Paro responds in such a manner, he thought maybe he did something wrong. He wasn't sure, but he comes, he's heartbroken. He goes to Moshe, he goes to Rabbeinu Shalom at the end of last week's Parsha and says, Hashem, why did you do evil to this nation? And why did you send me? insinuating maybe I was to blame. I don't know. But why did you make bad? So, you know, that's a complaint. You're waiting to complain. You did bad. Why did you do bad? He's saying it's bad. And from the time I went to power to talk in your name, you made it worse for these people. And Hashem says, you're going to see what I'm going to do to power. And Rashi comments, we're just going to paraphrase the Rashi. You're going to see what I'm going to do to power, but you won't see the Jews enter Eretz Yisrael. You were not right in making this complaint. Now, such a beautiful, like Reb Levi, Yitzhak Bar your nation. Look, they only steal, but they steal, but they keep all your mitzvahs. He was the, he was the, the prime Levi, Yitzhak Bar How, what, what would Moshe Rabbeinu do wrong? Okay, we can't understand. It's his level, not our level. But what did he do that was so bad that to, to, to bring this on, that he had to... Um, that he had to receive this punishment. Second question. We find in this week's parsha. Then he, say, he continues the dialogue in this week's parsha, and he says, "Ani uh, Hashem, I showed myself the era El Avram, Bel Yitzchak, Bel Yaakov, Bekel Shakai. I revealed myself with the name of Kel Shakai. That's how I revealed myself to them. Ushmi Hashem lo nadati lahem, but I did not show myself with the name of Hashem. Yud Kevavke." which usually denotes chesed and some other things, as we will explain. 
So it says, I showed myself to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. So Rashi says something enigmatic. It says, Va'era, I will show myself. Rashi says, El Ha'avos, to the forefathers. What do you mean? To the... It says Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Aren't they the forefathers? Like, why do we have to know that piece of information? That forefather? Why are we told here? Rashi doesn't waste a word. Rashi is extremely terse. There are Mephorshim that explain three words of Rashi. They can take a whole page because Rashi... Every word is calculated. Why? This is like a, I know three uh, third graders learn Rashi, but this is something they would get. But we think, like, come on, why do you have to waste your words on this? There's something deeper here to this Rashi. We're going to get into that. Third question. We find that when um, Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, you know, comes to Hashem with the complaints originally, last week's Parsha, there's a medrash that Rashi brings down saying that you're not like Avram Avinu. When Avram Avinu complained to me, he said he was his only son and he, he didn't complain at all. He was supposed to bring his only son up on an altar. He didn't complain. And, and Yitzhak didn't complain and you're complaining. Now, where's the comparison? Avraham, it was his own self, you know, he didn't want to be selfish. He wasn't want to be selfish. He didn't want, when it came to himself, why Hashem, are you doing this to me? Didn't utter a word. And yet Moshe Rabbeinu, when we find Moshe Rabbeinu is talking on behalf of others, he's coming with complaints on behalf of others. Why is it being compared to Avram and the Akedas Yitzhak? That doesn't seem like a fair comparison. You can't go to Eretz Yisrael. Unbelievable. Question four. When Moshe Rabbeinu goes to the Jewish people in this week's Parsha, Hashem comforts him and tells him, no, I'm going to redeem you. He goes to them. It says, Velo Shamuel Moshe. They didn't listen to Moshe when he told them he's going to redeem them from Egypt. He says, Ruach Because they could, their, their breath was short, like panting, like that. Like that Kotzer Ruach. They didn't have, they couldn't take deep breaths. You know, that's the first thing any labor coach will tell you to do. If you can't, if you're having too much pain, it's great to do. If you're getting any procedure done by a doctor, that's going to be painful to take nice deep breaths. But they couldn't. They were so anxious and nervous and upset. They had coats of ruach and avodah kasha. Rashi says, another question on Rashi. This is one of the, the kalvachomers in the Chumash. That um, they, uh, let me just see. I'm just trying to find where the exact words are. Okay, it's not right in this Pusik, it's in another Pusik. But in any case, this says this is one of the Kalvachomers in the Chumash that um, Kalvachomer is means a fortiori argument. You know, like you're saying, let's say, if, uh, uh, let's see, if I wasn't pretty at 25, how pretty am I going to be at 75? You know what I mean? Like, so that's like a Kalvachomer. Like, you know, usually you're prettier at 25 than you are at 75, usually. Not always. Some people didn't learn to wear makeup better, and they learn to, you know, make the best of who they are. But in any case, when it's a Kalvachomer argument, the, um, the you know, that, that you're saying, if this didn't happen, then all the more so, why isn't this going to happen? Or let's say, if I can't, if, um, if, if, uh, Donald Trump can't pay his rent. How can I pay mine? You know, something like that. That would be a Kalvachomer. Here we find the Kalvachomer is very interesting. It says, you'd think, and if you just look at this on a, on a surface level, you'd say, if the Jewish people don't believe in me, 
then how is Paro going to believe in me? The Jewish people have emun and Hashem, basically, in their bones. The Jewish people have great forefathers who promised them that they're eventually going to come out of Mitzrayim. Uh, how could Paro, who doesn't have emunah, believe in me? The problem is that a lot of people find with this Kalvachomer is that Kotzer Ruach, they are not listening. They are not contemplating because they're they're so upset. They're not. They're distraught. If they're, it, it seems to insinuate that the reason they're not accepting Moshe Rabbeinu's comfort is because they are they're they're anxious. They're nervous. They're everything. Then, if that's the cause of it, is the fact that they're all nervous. Paro does not have any nerves. The guy is sitting there sipping his mint julep. I don't know what he's doing, whatever the equivalent was in Mitzrayim under the palm tree, you know? So if they're not listening, how is power going to listen to me? So that's, you know, and then the last question, fifth, last but not least, we find in this week's Parsha another curious event. And that is, the curious event is um, when Moshe and Aaron are, described in this week's Parsha, and also throughout many places in the Chumash, we find Moshe and Aaron always mentioned next to each other to show they were equally great, equally great. Moshe, Aaron, Aaron, Moshe. But here there's some interesting verses to analyze. It says, who Aaron, Moshe, and in Perak Vav, Chafav, this is if Bina's listening, uh, this is Aaron and Moshe, that Hashem said to them, take the B'nai Shalmir, it's Mitzrayim, I'll see some. It mentions Aaron's name first. Now, who is the person that said, take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim to Paro? Uh, Moshe is the one that, um, that Hashem was told to take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim, but Aaron is mentioned first in this verse. Then in Perak Zion, Pasachof, again, they're described. And it says, Vayasuchen Moshe Aaron. It, it talks about, then it says, motion, Aaron, just like Hashem commanded them, he took his staff and he split the water um, in, in, the, in front of the eyes of Paro, and all the water turned to Dom. Now, in that verse, it mentions Moshe's name first, but who was the one that actually took his staff and hit the water? It was Aaron. If you look at all the verses, that's always a phenomenal lesson as an aside, we'll stick it in here. And that lesson, of course, is that we learn that when we make Kiddush on Friday night and we cover our challah, Moshe did not want to hit an inanimate object that benefited him. That's why we cover the challah when we make Kiddush, because we don't want to embarrass the challah. Now, in all of my years, and I'm only 22, I have never seen an embarrassed challah my entire life. But we cover it because we're supposed to feel challah, you fill me up. Bread, you're the staff of life. You're the thing I make. We do all these rituals by challah, by bread, because bread is the only food. I read this. I forgot who says this. One of the Meforshim says this. Maybe you're Shem Shem Pinkus. Bread is something that we never tire of. Is that interesting? That's why we have to lose some weight sometimes, because carbs, especially bread. Like, think about it. If you eat, let's say, five plums, you can't, even if your plums are your favorite food of the earth, or even cheesecake after chocolate, all the things that people want to eat, they're not going to eat them, you know, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, a tremendous amount. But bread is something that's unlimited because bread is something that is the staff of life. And um, it's something that, you know, that, that, that it's meant to have. It's never, it's never something that loses its taste by us. That's interesting. But in this case, Moshe was told to hit the water. 
However, in all the verses, you check them out, Aaron hits the water because Aaron is the one that didn't have this. He wasn't saved by the water like Moshe Rabbeinu. He doesn't have this appreciation for water like Aaron did. Aaron, I mean, Aaron, I'm sorry, did not benefit from the water like Moshe. So Aaron could hit the water and not Moshe. But in any case, both of these verses, it's very interesting. If you notice, both these verses, what I'm trying to stress is the name of the brother that was the least involved in that action was mentioned second. I mean, was mentioned first, rather. And the brother that was the most involved was mentioned second. And that's interesting because usually in the Chumash, you're going to find somebody that's extremely involved. That person should be mentioned first. Moshe's the one, Aaron's the one that hit the water. It should say, who Aaron the Moshe. If you're going to talk about Moshe, who told uh, the Jewish people or Hashem told him to take them out of Mitzrayim, it should say, who Moshe of Aaron. It should say Moshe first and then Aaron. Aaron was involved, but albeit he was a minor player and Moshe was the major player. So why is it in that order? So those are our questions, ladies. Let's take them up and get into some amazing lessons. Today's class is entitled Faith and Mission. Okay, so let's answer the last question first as to why Moshe and Aaron are scrambled around like that. First, the major players mentioned second, the, the, the minor player mentioned first. And Moshe and Aaron keep mentioning together, like why when the other one, that wasn't really even his job. So I, I saw this in a Sefer Barat by Einstadter Schlitter, who does a lot of the brisker Tyra. And he mentions that there's several, two lessons we learned from their order being changed and, and their main mission being given, so to speak, to the other. First of all, in Hashem's eyes, it doesn't matter what you accomplish. It matters how much, how hard you tried. Both of them had parts, and albeit the other one did not end up executing the part to the degree the other one did. However, in Hashem's eyes, it's as if you did it, if you had intention of doing it. It doesn't matter. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu was unique in the fact that the Shechina talked from his throat. The Shechina talked from the throat of Moshe Rabbeinu. Aaron didn't have that. That it was such a, and he had aspaklaria hameira. He had a clear vision of Hashem, which no other prophet ever had. However, the Torah puts them equal. He makes them equal. And the Rambam says that every Jew in the world, every Jew can be have the same portion as Moshe Rabbeinu. Rambam says that in Olam Haba. As long as you do your mission faithfully, you can be like a Moshe Rabbeinu. You don't have to be Moshe. You have to do your job. And when you do your job faithfully, you are as you get the credit of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe was given those extra gifts. We needed someone like that to, to transmit the Torah to us and to teach us. But if you're not given those gifts, if you use what the gifts you do have to the best of your ability, it's you're equivalent to Moshe Rabbeinu, says the Rambam. So... The idea is, that's the I, first thing, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your gift, it doesn't matter what you accomplished. It, it has Shem's eyes, it's equal. And usually we think the fitness is what's important. Usually we think that Moshe was the one that was hard of speaking, couldn't speak easily. So Aaron did the speaking for him to power. But Moshe's name is mentioned first. It doesn't matter your fit, your fitness. You're only a vehicle of Hashem. Your ability means zero. In our days, there's such an opposite thing. It's all about what do you do and how can you do it and how well do you do it and, and your appearance and the externals, trappings. But really, we believe as Torah Jews that the main thing is 
how hard did you try? And Hashem makes the result. Like we talked last week's partial, we're talking about Betzalel, how Betzalel was a youngster who knew nothing of craftsmanship and he was given the whole responsibility of the entire Mishkan to execute. Which So we each have a mission. Some people's missions are defined. Many people later discover their mission. Um, that's what Rabbi Einstein said. But that is um, that we all have some type of mission. It brings down to Yerushalmi and Kedushin. Rabbi Tarfan had a mother who he totally, he exemplified Kippurah aim the way he treated his mother, exemplified the way he honored his mother. One time her shoelaces tore, and I guess in this case it was a type of shoe where it couldn't stay on her foot once the shoelace tore. So Rabbi Tarfan held his hand. He was, Rabbi Tarfan was a contemporary, by the way, of Rabbi Akiva. He was a Tana. He was a sage of the Mishnah. He held his hands down to his mother to walk on his hands till she got to her bed. Uh, later, many years later, when he was on his sick bed, his mother begged the Rabbanim, the Chachamim, the, the Chachmeh Mishnah. She begged them to please daven for him. She said, look at my son. Look at his great honor for his mother. It's a tremendous level. How can we lose him? Please daven that he should recover. And they answered her in a very enigmatic way. They said, even if he did this a million times, he didn't achieve half of the honor deserving of a parent. <laughs> Tell that to your kids. Anyways, um, the Beis Halevi says on this, Rabbi Einstetter brings this down, that the mother's pleading, keep what of the aim. But the reason why the sages answered her this way is they were, they didn't want him to die either. They wanted to say, look, he didn't fulfill half his mission. He still has to be here because he has a mission. As long as we have a mission in this world, as long as we have a mission in this world, we have a reason to live. And as soon as a person loses their mission, uh, that's when life ends. So Rabbi Tarfin, the contemporary Rabbi Akiva, the Godel Hador, they're trying to think that his mission shouldn't end yet to prolong his life. You know, I wanted to say here that somebody called me up after the class last time, and I wanted to say it here, but I'm going to mention it also next week for the people that'll, that missed last, the end of last week. And that is, Somebody called me to know how, what is my, how do I know what my mission is? It's a common question because we're contemplating their mission. And the answer is, you don't have to know. And it says, he says later, some people discover their mission. You look back, you see what, what, but you do know in a way. When Hashem gives you X, Y, Z children, you have this kind of difficult child, let's say, or this illness, God forbid, or this problem in your life, obviously that's your mission because God gave it to you on a, silver platter, that this is what you're supposed to overcome in your life. Now, people that don't, if there's such a, an animal of a person that does not have a mission, <laughs> I would, you know, if somebody says like, I just have it so easy and I have no difficulties in my life, then guess what? You have a bigger mission. Your mission is to help all those people that don't have it as easy as you. You have to think of ways to help them in some way, whatever your strength may be, whether it's a listening ear, whether it's a, a, a big pocketbook, or whether it's a um, whatever, you could drive around for them, you could do things. Today, we have lost so many of our institutions that help people. We have the bigger column, like things are limited right now, but we have other avenues that have opened. There's so many people needing help in some ways. We can all think of ways. I have to mention here because I feel it's very important. The Toronto community has lost a very special woman last week, a woman named Miss Faggy Kaplan. She rest in peace that I happen to have many times at my Shabbos table, many yontifs I spent together. 
And this is a woman that could have really complained about her mission because, you know, no children, no husband. Um, but one thing I saw about her, never a bad word, never heard a word, negative word about anything, about anything, not about her situation, not about her other people, always positive, always thinking of very considerate person, thinking of the other, not wanting to intrude, not wanting to bother, you know, so this woman, she could say, what's my mission? I think we learned the world, the city, anyone that had came into her, uh, her area, learned about her kindness and her, you know, how, how she never could think bad about another person. It's just, that shows the purity of soul because the way you look at people is the way you are. Kamai Melpanim, you know, or like, um, you know, like it, 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 there's other, there's other Chazals talking about that, but the basic thing is the way you look at the world is usually, <laughs> you know, if you have a negative feeling about somebody, that's usually what you have to work on. That's Hashem made it like that. That usually your your little uh, weakness is what you have to work on. And she obviously had a perfect, a very pure, holy soul that she never saw bad in anybody else. It was always a pleasure to be in her surroundings. And Neshama should have an aliyah. Now, so so the, the mission we have is either the things you went through or obviously make the best. Do Use your mission. Use the time you have and use it. For the if what are you doing with your time? That's the biggest gift a person has. What are they doing with their time? Are they are they just wasting fr frittering away their time? I know it's a very big challenge now because people are sitting at home with not much to do, you know. And it talks about madregas. A person on a very high madrega, less time is wasted. They said Rabhatska Levenstein, not one second of his life was wasted. Every limb of his body was just Hashem. What do you want from me now? Now we're not Rav Haskell, I, I I would venture to say I think so. Nobody, you know, in our generation, not very few people at all, at all, you know. But every, and everything he drank, everything he ate, every movement he made was the shame shemayim. You know that that's mission. It's instilling mission into anything you do. Now we talk about mission. Our mission as Jews is given to us by our avos. Avos and toldos, we see in, that's a concept in halacha. Av means like this, the roots, the roots. Where do you come from? The roots, the Jewish people were in mission. And guess what? According to many sources, I saw this by, um, where did I see this? Yeah, I saw this by Rav Bax, and I think I also saw this by Rav Shimshim Pincus. Yeah, that by the Avos, they had, um, I showed the Avos shame Shakai, die, means when you say Shakai, that name of God, that means she die, that everything, there's a, there's a limit, there's a limit. You see things in a more limited manner. Our forefathers had a world where they saw a world where a lot of their hopes and promises were not fulfilled in their lifetimes. There were their challenges. Avram thought his whole child that that he thought as he waited so many years for children. Finally, he has a child to continue his dynasty, and here that child is going to be threatened. The child may not live, you know. And everything he believed in was going counter to human sacrifice, and all the other things that he didn't believe in were all being done in his day. And he he countered it, and it looked like it was all hopeless. They didn't have clarity in their day. There was no clarity. Yaakov Avinu said, that my, my life was short and, and, and a lot of negative stuff went on in my life. 
Yaakov Avina said his life was full of challenges, Lavan and, and Esav and Yosef, the whole saga with Yosef. Yaakov Avinu suffered very much. Yitzhak Avinu, they, I mean, all of them had children that were off the derech. They all had horrible circumstances, not easy situations, a lot of challenges, and yet they persevered in their muna. That's our mission. Our mission is, that's why Rashi, when it says, Ba'era, I showed myself, the avos means that is your mission. Headline, as a Jew, is you are sometimes going to see darkness, and in that darkness, you've got to find the light. You've got to make the lemons out of the lemonade. You may not see the results of your actions in this world. You may not. You may, you may not, you know. And I think most people don't, you know. But uh, the person is supposed to instill whatever they can in their time and in their life, and from that, good things are supposed to come. And we find, we're told in many places, says Rabak, that the Ten Commandments and the Ten Makos came in the merit of the Ten Tests of Avram Avinu. Now, did he know that these great things are going to come for the Jewish people in his merit? In fact, you did the Akedah. They had the big major test of, of Yitzchak. You know, Avram is being tested. Your son, I bring him up on the altar, like as if he's uh, going to, you know, he's about to, looks like he's about to die. And what happens? Who is standing there? Nobody. There's no, it's not major thing. You picture thousands of people witnessing this great event. Him and Yitzhak are alone in the desert. That's it with some ram running around. That's it and nothing. You don't see the results of your actions. It's all dark. It's all darkness. We're told sometimes that a person, like a lot of times a person has like a, a low alenu, like a death penalty on him. In the merit of Yitzhak Avinu, it's a, it's a, a shmira. The, the, the fact that Yitzhak Avinu was willing to give his life for the cause of Hashem is, a, is, is often a protection for future generations. They're called avos because they're our, they're, they lead us in our direction and how we should lead, lead, our, lead our lives. You know? Now, here from Rav Kuppelman Zatzal, who was the Rashiva in Lucerne, Switzerland, brings down Medrash Rabin by Yechi. And I happen to have that right here. And it says, Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, Hakol B'Kivui. Rabbi Yitzchak says, you know what? Everything comes from hope. Everything that a person gains in this world, everything a person merits in this world is in the merit of his amuna. Yesurin B'Kivui. If a person wants to get out of Yisurim or handle them properly. It depends on his degree of hope. Kedusha Hashem B'Kivoy. If you want to make a Kiddush Hashem, if you want to sanctify God's name to the degree that you have trust in God, that's the degree you're going to make a proper Kiddush Hashem. Zuchus Avos B'Kivoy. If you want to have merit of your forefathers, it all depends on your power of hope. Ta'avaso Shel Oilam Haba B'Kivoy. And even your desire for the world to come depends on the degree of hope that you have developed within yourself. Now, what does that mean? What does all this mean? So he explained that the Orachayim HaKadosh tells us that um, when we talk about that everything is through hope, by the way, I just want to show here that um, the Chayvah Salavavos tells us in the Shar HaBitachon that Every, that bitachon and amuna are so essential that the mo and today almost every rav rosh Hashiva, everything rebbe they all say amuna is the test of our generation especially preceding mashiach 
that how much the more emuna a person gets the the more he's going to put into every mitzvah because he feels this is it i'm going to do more because i believe i believe the more you believe the better you'll do the mitzvah the more you believe he says the chavis halavavis the better you'll have it in this world because you see a better bigger picture emuna is necessary for everything now the orachayim um he, he brings down the Orachaim says, you know, this Kalvachomer, he's not sure it's such a good Kalvachomer. The Orachaim is the one that first questions the thing we asked in the beginning about the Kalvachomer. That Moshe Rabbeinu, I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu said, if the Jewish people don't believe me with their difficulties, how is Paro without difficulty going to believe me? He says, no, we have to read it differently. The Kalvachomer is a little bit different here. Everything depends on belief. So if the Jews don't believe in me and in my mission, how will Paro believe in me? How can I get someone else to believe in me? How can nothing happens without Bitachan? We have to believe that. Without Bitachan, nothing occurs. Like in last week's Parsha, I saw this many places where Sim Chazisel brings it down. I saw it once where Chatzkali brings this down. I saw where Scheinberg's it all brings this down. There's three episodes that occur in last week's Parsha. First, Hashem commands Moshe Rabbeinu, go to the Jewish people and tell them, I'm going to take you out of Mitzrayim. And then, step two, the nation believes in Moshe. And step three is that Moshe goes to Paro right after. The question is asked, and I'm going to modernize the question. He says, imagine, some, I'm, I'm modernizing this. Let's say somebody is lying on the street and it looks like they had some kind of, who knows what, God forbid, who knows, a heart attack, whatever. Are you going to go tell the person, don't worry, I'm going to call 911 for you. Don't worry, Alice Vetsign, good, it's going to be great. You just hang in there. I'll be doing it. I'll call. I just want to make sure your emotional state is good right now. That's the main thing. That's not, that's usually not what we expect, but this is what happened here. If they're in Mitzrayim, you'd think the first thing you should do, go to Paro, get them out. Don't go to B'nai Israel. first go to Paro. Do not stop. Do not pass go. Go to Paro. So we're told that Rav Simcha Zizel says this. He says, why is it in this order? Without Emuna of B'nai Yisrael, Moshe could not succeed in his mission. They had to say that they believed. Once they believed, he could do his mission. Everything is dependent on Emuna. We have a mission. We all have missions in life. And one underlying mission that every Jew has is with, despite the darkness, we all have to employ Emuna. Why? Rav Scheinberg says Hashem doesn't want to do things, or Rav Sechaim, I saw this there too. Hashem doesn't like, doesn't like to conduct himself in a miraculous fashion. He wants things to go naturally. So if you're believing that this is not, this is natural, that Hashem always does this, like Hanina Bendosa believed that any miracle could happen. So he was always having miracles in his house. We're not on that level, but when we believe something's within the realm of possibility, then it could happen. Hashem doesn't want to happen as a miracle because if the Sifse Chaim explains, person will feel it's his merits. So therefore, Hashem always employs everything in the miraculous in order that a person should have more, I mean, it always tries to do things more non-miraculous. So a person should get more belief in Hashem. And belief is so important. Not only does it everything start and end with Amuna, but the Maral says, Yesh tzadikim v'shulchanam reik la'asid lavo that there's some tzaddikim, their tables are empty in the world to come because they're lacking amuna. 
It's not, you know, people think just be a good person, learn a lot of Torah, do a lot of mitzvahs. We have to make a relationship with Hashem. Victor Miller says, a relationship with Hashem should be tops, most important, especially if somebody's alone, they should know that the reason they're alone is in order that they make a relationship with Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu was alone for many years as a shepherd until he comes on the scene as the... Uh, Okay. Okay. If you can ask me at the, okay, I didn't, I didn't get your thing. I couldn't read it quick enough, but in any case, the, um, the, the, what's it called? So the, um, the, the Amuna to the degree that we have Amuna, that is, that's necessary, not just for mitzvahs, but it's our whole, the purpose of Torah mitzvahs says the Vilna Gon and the, the Rambam is in order to get closer to Hashem and to build our character. Whole purpose of the entire Torah mitzvahs. Uh, Victor Miller said, Hashem should really be your best friend. And if you're married, don't tell your spouse because they'll feel insulted. They should feel like they're your best friend, but really Hashem should be your best friend. And that's what he felt. And that's what the Chavetz Naim felt. You know, we find those kind of people were on those levels. The Chidush Agados, and another thing from the Maharal, he says, all rewards in this world, the next world are commiserate with the amount of bitachon that a person instills in them. Rav Scheinberg brings down a beautiful medrash and shira shirim. It says, Domedo dilitzvi. My beloved is like a deer. Now, deers used to be my favorite animal many years ago. Uh, I thought they were so gentle looking and kind and everything. And um, until I encountered a deer and I saw that they don't even want to look and you go up to them, they're, they're, they're terrified of people. Terri- utterly terrified of people. They play, play, they hide from people. So too, Hashem plays hide and seek with us. He, we know he hides from us so many times because he wants us to have a muna. The reason why things are dark, it's easy to have a muna when everything's fine and everything's on your plate and everything's on, every, all the bills are paid and, and there's no threat of the world falling apart like it is right now. It's very easy to have a muna, but that's not what Hashem wants. Hashem wants us to have a muna when things are dark because then you really exercise those amuna muscles like the avos. That's the way we're supposed to be, like the others. They even say there's a medrash that Nassim Bachvogel brings down that when Mashiach comes, he's going to first show himself and then he's going to disappear. We're not going to know what happened to him. And then he's going to show himself again and disappear. And I don't know what that means. I can venture my own on, on my own Amaretz kind of shot here because I'm not a great Rav, Makubal or Tzadik, whatever, but I can say that after the Holocaust, a lot of people felt that's it. Mashiach is here or, or we're here. I mean, how worse can it get then? You know, but then he hit himself. He hit himself. And now again, we're thinking about Mashiach much more than we did before. You know, and we see that the world is not, we can't depend on this world. We see, there's nothing but Hashem, that all the powers of the world, we trust the medical established to to some degree before. Now we don't even know how much politics is mixed up with with establishment. We used to trust our governments much more, thinking that they're basically, even for their own pocketbook, they're out for the benefit of the people. You know, and now we see that's not true. We hear in Eretz Yisrael, the governments, uh, do what they're doing to Haredim, what they're doing to the religious community, it's un, un, unfathomable, unbelievable what's going on. And the whole idea is for us to show how much we trust in Hashem during these difficult times. And we have to work on it. And it doesn't come easy. 
It doesn't come easy. It's, it's, it's something that has to be worked on. Nobody is born with a Muna. Some people are more chilled out than others, but chilled out does not mean bitachon, by the way. They're not synonymous. I want to give you an example. Um, it, says in the, it says in the Shar Bitachon, Chavos Levavos, this is something I discovered once. Some, several people in my life helped me. This is my shot, so what, take it at its value, but I feel it's the truth. He says in the Chavos Levavos that it's impossible to be free of worry without Bitachon. So I used to think about, you know, that really hit me, you know, because I knew people that were chilled, you know, and I said, okay, how does this jive with his statement that it's impossible? He says it emphatically. It's impossible to be free of worry that protection. So this is what I thought came up with. The people that I know in my life that are chilled either are escaping reality, like they're either, they were the youngest in the family and there was always somebody else to lean on who would take care of things. Usually there are two opposites, being conscientious and being chilled. Usually the people that are more nervous and worried, and I've read this in different sources, the worried people are the conscientious people because you know they're trying to get something done and it's not done and I have a deadline and this and that, and they, they want it to happen. They're gonna make it happen. Now other people are more chilled. Also, of course, worry can happen from people going through traumatic events or from all kinds of terrible things. People can be worried, you know, why that people are worried these days. But usually, often, the person to have to have to deal. Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you very much, Hanadavor. So anyway, so the um, so for a person to to have simultaneously being conscientious and not being worried, that's bitachon. To do to pay your debt, your debt, your dues. How are you paying your dues by doing what you have to do, and and davening as well, and realizing Hashem is going to bring your salvation. Of course, you have to be calm, but you have to do something. You know, it's very easy to be chilled, you know, and you see like kids are always saying, oh, Ma, why are you so nervous? They're 16 years old, for God's sakes. The worst thing they have to worry about is the test tomorrow. You know what I mean? That they, you know, like, uh, like you know, like uh, they tell their parents, you're so nervous. You're so worried, you know, the um, anyway. So the uh, if, in, in any case, you know, people are worried about different things, but bitachon means to be free of worry because you see. I am not in control. Hashem is helping me. He's with me. I'm not alone doing this. Hashem is helping me doing this and it's going to happen. But this is being conscientious and not worrying. And that's quite a, a feat to perform. In fact, they usually seem opposite. Now for Rivka, we're going to bring down a word from Rav Chaim Min, Shlita. Rav Chaim Min says that people can undergo suffering much easier when we know that this world is just an anteroom. It's just an entranceway to the world to come. And if people are willing to suffer, like, you know, in low-class hotels or whatever, with the bed bugs, they'll sleep on the floor that night if they know they're going to catch their lottery findings tomorrow morning. Or if, uh, you know, something big is about to happen, they're willing to undergo any kind of thing. So too, and moon and bitachon, the more we believe this is a temporary world, and this world is really... Like uh, Rabbits and um, Steinman used to always say, Anarisha Veltala, you know, this is a foolish world. Or I think Rabbits and Peril Cutler used to also, Ochana Peril Cutler used to also call this like a Kleina Veltala, a little world. They kept telling this to themselves. Don't think you're born like this. You have to remind yourself because the world can look very ominous sometimes. All things are coming at you from all sides. And we're supposed to still focus on the fact that. Um, that, you know, really Hashem is in control. And it says, Whenever Hashem does anything to the world, 
earthquakes in Mongolia is to remind the Jewish people, remember, maybe, perhaps, when people are all scared of China today, I don't like the view and I have to change it. Yes, I want to look more close up. Um, that, uh, you know, all the things going in the world today, that all the challenges we're going through, Mongolia is so close to China, it was even part of China. And if I'm not mistaken, at one point, they wanted to put the Jews in in, in, China, in Mongolia. I think the Chinese government had in mind to make concentration camps for the Jews in China, and it never happened because of the Amshin of a Rebbe spoke to them and um, some other emissaries of the Mir Yeshiva. It was called the Fugu Plan, if you ever read that book that was going on. The Japanese and the Chinese had these plans for the Jews. Interesting, in Mongolia, of all places, maybe to tell us not to trust the power of China. Everything's under Hashem's hands, and Hashem can make them fall to their knees in seconds. They have no power. We can't be afraid of them. So we've learned two things so far. The sense of mission that a person has to have. The main thing is to try. And the main thing that we need in our mission, our personal mission, is to employ a Muna. And it gets us this world. It gets us the next world. It helps us cope with with Yisurim, it helps us cope with all kinds of things. Every single mitzvah, the more, the higher the degree of amuna, the greater the mitzvah will be when we perform it. And it doesn't come from nothing. There's this amazing Bitachan hotline. There is the Bitachan weekly you can print out, all kinds of things. There's all kinds of amuna Bitachan things all over the place. Um, and it's something we have to listen to on a daily basis. We have to work on ourselves. It doesn't, doesn't just come. There's all kinds of stories of great gedolim that uh, I believe was one of the briskarovs that he, he lost his entire, he got some type of nadan. They got some type of dowry when he got married and it was all lost somehow. Something happened. The whole thing fell apart. He had no money to live on. He locked himself in a room for hours and learned the Shar HaBitachon from the Chovas HaLavavos. And then he came out and he could handle it. <laughs> so, you know, like uh, this is what we're supposed to work on. A lot of people, contrary to this, think we're in the world now. You're supposed to work on, you know, listen to the news because you have to know what's happening. You have to know what's going on. All the news does is scare us. It's, it's just it's, it's making us crazy. And the more we listen to it, we can't we can't function. We still have to think we have a mission. Our mission could be is going to be lessened. Our mission is watered down the more we get into all this because it gets us frightened and it's trying to throw us off from what we're really here in the world to do. A major way to have a Muna is by thought. The Sforno brings down in this week's parsha, Perik Vav, Pasik Vav Tiltes. He says, usually, um, this is brought to you by, I believe, of Chanoch Hanach Libowitz, that's all, the Rashiva of Chavetz Chaim in Queens. He says that usually a person is not taken to task when he is in pain. He's not given the same standards. He's not put in the same, uh, Hashem gives him kind of slack. Uh, he realizes there's a handicap here and he doesn't ch- judge him the way he does when he's under go- in good times. Ain adam nitpas besochsaro. Person is not judged when he's in pain. However, with bitachon, Jibanesha wouldn't listen to him because they were they they didn't have they weren't thinking they had no time to think power didn't allow them to have time to think they didn't take the time to think they were too absorbed in their pain and guess what they didn't merit to go to Eretz Yisrael because of this they didn't merit to go to Eretz Yisrael this generation merited to leave Egypt but they didn't merit Eretz Yisrael because of this because they're taken to task one thing you're not exempt from even when you're going through hard times is working on your amuna. Now, it doesn't mean you have to have a Muna, 
I saw this Bitachan headline. He says beautifully, he says it many times, people to know you're not going to be expected in up in heaven. They're not going to take you to task. Why didn't you believe like Rav Levenstein? They're going to ask you, why didn't you try? Like he said, if a person cries or if a person's scared, that's not what you're judged on. You're judged on, did you do any exercises today to work on your Amun and Bitachan? Did you do anything? Did you just laissez faire and okay, I'll just chill, you know? Or did you really work on your Amun and Bitachan? If you spent time working on it, then you're a Baal Bitachan in Shemayim. That's all that counts is were you, your last, were you spending your time trying to get yourself closer to Hashem, trying to, now the thought is very important. Thought is very important. We can, we can sometimes, um, you know, if we don't employ thought, then sometimes we get very lost. We can't, we, we forget that there's this beautiful world around us. We hear the bad news. We think people are in control. But here's this thing that Rabbi Victor Miller brought down many years ago, and I was so taken by it that I'm reading it to you today. The Tiferes Yisrael writes in his commentary on the Mishnah and Tractate Sanhedrin that when you see a butterfly, you have to think it was once a caterpillar. A caterpillar has as much hope of becoming a butterfly as I have of becoming a butterfly. It just winds up underneath the branch of a tree and starts spitting out its mouth, a little string of mucus that immediately solidifies and becomes a thread. Miracle of miracles. It doesn't become a thread while it's inside the body of a caterpillar because it would get indigestion. It becomes a thread only after it spits it out. The chemical composition of it is such that as soon as it comes in contact with air, it immediately congeals into, into string. Isn't that a miracle? It's all plan and purpose. There's a laboratory inside that little worm that creates exactly the right kind of materials. And then it starts turning around and around for a long time and spins a funeral shroud for itself. Then it dies. If you would take a penknife and make a cross section, you would see nothing but putrefied material inside. It looks like nothing but a rotted caterpillar is inside. When the time comes, it opens up and out comes a gorgeous monarch butterfly with a big, beautiful yellow wings with black markings. And it's able to rise above the roofs now. Now you can't tread on it anymore. Monarch butterflies can fly across the ocean. Such a career was undreamed of by the poor, humble character. If you would argue with a caterpillar and try to convince it, it would ridicule you. The Tiberius Yisrael said, that gives us an analogy. If the body is put in the grave and it putrefies, then to believe that subsequently it will someday arise in a more glorious existence, it's certainly not easy. But we see that, the, you know, a person can believe in the revival of the dead just by seeing a caterpillar. You know, it, it, we have so many things like that. There's, there's, the, there's a seed, you plant a seed, it totally shrivels, gets destroyed, and then the little green sprout comes up and out comes a tree. And look, at, and look at a seed. A seed doesn't have any markings that it's going to be an orange, orange tree. I'll cut a seed in half. There's no green in it. There's no orange in it. There's no nothing. Miracle of miracles. We contemplate creation every day a little bit. Then we can realize that there's somebody else running this world besides the Chinese government and all the bad leaders of the world. We realize that somebody else is running this world and we don't have control and they don't either. Whether they know it or not, there is somebody that we can count on that's going to take care of us. And we have to work on that. You know, even the Egyptians were tested. The Egyptians were tested by the, by the plague of Barad. The plague of hail, they were given an opportunity to bring all their cattle indoors because they were warned, hail's coming. And there were some Egyptians, and this was, remember, uh, 
what is the seventh plague? I can't, I don't have time to count right now, but whatever it was the so many plagues they've endured already. They didn't get the drift. And several, many Egyptians, a good percentage of the population did not heed the warning and they lost everything. Why did they do such a thing? Because people hang on to their egos. I don't want to let the go of the Jews as my slaves. I don't want to, um, I don't believe, I don't want to believe. When you don't want to believe, you're willing to do foolish things because you're not thinking. You don't want to think. All of this, they didn't merit Eretz Yisrael. That's what the Sforno says. Because of this, the lack of thought. We have to think more. We have to think before we do things. First of all, when you think of something, you're putting shame shemayim in it. Everyday activities. We think, I'm doing this to, to help my family, to serve Hashem. I'm doing this. I'm making my life more more uh, idealistic. I'm making my, my life more altruistic. I'm making it more forever than just temporary, the way it seems right now. Yerachim HaKadosh says something very interesting. It says, Ulai, ki, ki, oh no, I can't read my writing. Mitzad, yeah. Ulai ki mitzad shalo hayu b'nei Torah, lo shamu ki atorah marcheves libo shaladim. The reason perhaps why the Jews did not contemplate is because they didn't study Torah and Torah expands a person's mind and soul, makes a person more relaxed and calm. So, you know, this before giving of the Torah, so that's also something that can always giving us, that can always give us hope. The fact that we have the Torah to count on, that will um, that will help us relax and remember. There's a higher purpose. There's a higher calling. There's another world. This is a temporary world. This is a foolish world. A narrow world. Rav Palms tells us there's so many things we can see precision in. If a person has a fever of two degrees, he's extremely ill. Two degrees. You know what difference would it make in boiling a pot? Two degrees. You know, maybe it would, you know, maybe the boiling point, you know, if you're right near the boiling point, I guess it does. But, you know, what difference does it make? We find that um, that uh, the earth, the way it's put on the axis, the earth, if it's too close to the sun, everybody would burn. If it's too far from the sun, everybody would freeze. That it's this exact perfect purpose. It's unbelievable. Moshe Rabbeinu had tremendous amuna, but when Moshe Rabbeinu, but, but, when it, his, his love for the Jewish people was so strong, it was being compared to the Akedas Yitzhak. It was, it was being compared. He loved, he loved the Jewish people as much as Avram loved his son. And, and Avram didn't complain. Why did you? So Moshe obviously had more love for others than, than probably Avram Avinu. Like more than, that's why he became the great leader of the Jewish people. However, he was taken to task. He's not going to go to Eretz Yisrael now because one of the reasons is because he, he didn't he, he questioned he didn't have the amuna if you if you're lacking the amuna on his level I think if we would say that what Moshe said we'd be considered tzaddikim you know halavai we should complain to Hashem like that about other people you know and instead of mostly most 99.999 percent of our complaints are about ourselves and if we would only care about others the way we care about ourselves we would be on a very high level but yet he couldn't enter Eretz Yisrael because you can only have geula when you have amuna. That's why right before, when we have Shmona Esrei, we talk about the Geula, how the Jewish people were taken out of Mitzrayim. Rav Scheinberg, now Rav Eloi does not hold like this, but Rav Scheinberg, the way he poskins is that it's more important to say, um, you don't say the sec two, last two paragraphs of Shema. If you're short on time, you say the first paragraph of Shema, you say Shmona Esrei, but you should say the paragraph, even a woman should say the paragraph between Shema 
and Shvona Esrei, because you have to be so mech geula letvila. Before you say Shvona Esrei, you should have, you inject yourself, all my forefathers, not one, they all left Egypt. That emuna, you need emuna for a better tefillah. Rav Scheinberg felt that's more important to say that than it is to say the last two paragraphs of Shema. Whereas Rabbi Lowy says it's more important to say the, the whole Shema. But you have to go by your rabbi. But the importance is, it says in the Gemara that whoever, you know, is, is connects Geula to tefillah is going to have a better davening. We mentioned that the, the only, someone that personified this trait in our lifetimes was the holy Rabbi Kalman Krohn. He should rest in peace. Rabbi Kalman Krohn was described by Rav Nassim Vachvogel, his Rebbe. Rav Kalman Krohn lived in Lakewood, and he was a, uh, he did a lot to help a lot of people learn Torah. He helped a lot of boys learn Torah. And he was like the little quiet Chafetz Chaim in his time. He's, he's known as a good speaker. He's the brother of Pesach Krohn, Lavdil, brother of Pesach Krohn. But he was the one that actually was a huge tzaddik in many ways, a hidden tzaddik. So we were mentioning that one thing a real yeshiva guy usually doesn't do is they don't sign up for the army. And this is beyond the scope of this class. We're not going there. But um, the uh, a real Haredi yeshiva person, that they have the reasons, halakhic reasons, why they feel they're not allowed to be part of the army in Israel. However, Rav Kalman Krohn took an extra step. Rav Kalman Krohn, he was a person that every year he would... Um, contact the Israeli government, find out who passed away. I don't know if it was every year or every month, every week. I don't know how frequently. He would find out the, the names of the people that died in battle, and he would pay people to say Kaddish for them for a year. Now, that's incredible. That's for 11 months, not a year. It, it, it's incredible. If you think about it here, you don't believe with the theory of what they're doing, but the love of the Jewish people ate at his heart. Rav Nelson Bachvogel, his Rebbe, said, that the only two people he ever met in his life that had such love of the Jewish people was Rav Baruch Berlibowitz and Rav Kalman Krohn. Really quite a comparison for Rav Kalman Krohn. What a holy man. Now, so I think we've answered all our questions basically of your mission in life and how much Amuna has to be employed and the Kal V'chomer, that if the Jewish people are not thinking about me, then how could Paro think about me? The Jewish people have something of thought within their psyche, and they could have come to this thought. Paro, Paro didn't, was not thinking at all about me. Paro wants to think about himself. He doesn't want to think about his mission in life at all. But we have to employ thought. Thought is the way that we're going to get somewhere in our life. That's what's going to help us. With, and we have to work in Amun Abitachan. It doesn't come by nature. It doesn't come naturally. Another thing. We're going through such times now that I, I, every time I get a glimpse of what's going on in the news, I regret it that I hear something from somebody because it's so frightening. You know what the people are telling us that this and that, and it just looks like everything's so dangerous. No matter what you do, it's dangerous. And everything looks like it's uh, there's this problems, huge problems, but we think we know there's some kind of major world shakeup going on right now as we speak. But the best times in life sometimes are those under pressure to be like our avos, the tosfas. The Bali Tosfas was written during the Crusades. They said their prime composition was during the actual Crusade times of people being butchered. And, uh, you know, that, that this is when we have to know, we have to realize there's no other place to turn but Hashem. We have to take these times. These times are valuable. We can really use these times as times for self-development. We can't be maybe like a chevrati type of person now. We can't be a social butterfly, but we can be build up the inner world to be a beautiful butterfly.
We can build up our inner worlds, our, our, our connection to Hashem, our connection with what are we in this world for? Our davening could be of a higher quality. We have to not waste our time. We have to realize that time means a mission. So that means what's my mission? Your mission, now this is huge. Can you say about yourself that every minute of your life was used for the right purpose? Now, as women, we're not taken to task like men. Men have a question of Bitzel Torah. And women need time. We need relaxation times. We need times to unwind or we're going to be nervous wrecks because it isn't an easy job to be a woman in many times. However, however, all that being said, we have to justify our time on earth. They say a story about Ravavram Chaim Levine, Zechrena Levracha, the Rashiva of Tel, Chicago. And he said, they used to see him running, wherever he went, he was running. And they asked him, why are you running? He says, I want you to know my student. He told his Talmud. He said, I want you to know the biggest Chil Hashem is wasting your time. Time is life. That means you don't believe that God gave you a purpose. There is a purpose. You don't have to know your mission. And it's not like a simple heading. It's not like you think God is so simplistic that he says your mission is like a one word title. There's many missions at different times. The mission is to keep the faith under all costs, to do what's necessary under all costs, to be an Evid Hashem under all costs. That's what we're supposed to do. And if we get too distracted with all the stupidity going on in the world, you know, we don't know, we don't know what life is going to be like in the future. Let's maximize our time while we still have you know, before Mashiach comes, while we still have a major Yetzirah, let's maximize it, defeat the forces of evil within ourselves. All these people talk about Sutton and all that. That's very good on a, on a you know, Kabbalistic level. Let's talk about the Sutton that's inside. Let's defeat the Sutton that's being challenged and, and, and threatened all the time. I told, I, I mentioned this before, and I just think it was unbelievable. I was just reading the biography of Scheinberg, Zetzal, and how he particularly wanted to use ivory soap to wash his hands because it lathered the quickest. He didn't want to waste time washing his hands. Rebuchan and Wasserman didn't want to have tie shoes because they didn't want to have time to tie up his shoes. He, went, he had better things to do with his life. We find that Rav Scheinberg also, the 10 seconds, in, he, when he would leave the Ahmed for Kedusha, <coughs> he would leave the Ahmed for Kedusha, what Rav Scheinberg would do would be to, he would, the 10 seconds in between the response, while everybody's responding to Skadusha, he would have a safer ready and open and use it. 10 seconds, he felt. I mean, I don't know. For me, I would say 10 seconds, I need to chill out. I need to relax for 10 seconds. You know, let me compose my thoughts. He was so, can you imagine if a person could really be on that level to every 10 seconds we're counting? That's quite, this, these are why these are people are art tzaddikim, that every time was cherished. They saw it as a gift from God and something they had to use and not abuse. So let's look at this time now. It's not like just because the world has shut us off. Hashem has not shut us off. We have things to do. We have a mission to accomplish. And that mission is through faith. And that's why I titled this Faith and Mission. And I thank you for listening. And I thank for the greatest administrator in the universe for administrating this. And I thank the Rebunna Shalom for allowing me to say this. And let's take these lessons and internalize them. Thank you very much. Chazak v'amatz. I feel like if you would say it a third time, it would be 